Welcome to 21 Steps, an audiobook podcast by M.A. Box. Chapter 11 Charlie had another rough night, which by now seemed to be more the norm than the exception. By the time he woke up the next morning, he was already regretting the events of the night before. His stomach was really turning and he didn't know if his regular breakfast would be able to fix it this morning. He sat up on the edge of his bed, rubbing his eyes. The light of the window caused the pulsing pain in his head to feel even worse. He slowly stood up out of bed, feeling the blood rushing up as he did so. Then he started to walk, placing his right hand on the bed to help hold him up as he moved. He went through the motions, though, knowing today would be the last day before the weekend. He hadn't taken a weekend off in a long time, but he still looked forward to them because he didn't have the same expectations as he had during the week. He dressed himself that morning, missing a button in the middle of his shirt, only to notice just before leaving the house. He hoped that wouldn't be an indicator of how this day was going to go. Charlie drove to the office and tried to prepare himself for the day ahead of him. He didn't know what was going to happen today. He turned off the radio that was talking about the local news and traffic so he could focus better on preparing for his day. His brain felt a little cloudy, for good reason, and he was having a hard time focusing on more than one thing at a time. He squinted as he drove into the sun, feeling a headache starting to come on. He was frustrated and at a dead end in the case he was working, and to make matters worse, he had made himself sick. He ran out of people to interview and still felt like he didn't know the whole story. Somebody wasn't being honest with him, and he hated that more than anything. He thought back to each of the interviews that he had conducted and tried to see which person he thought wasn't telling the whole story. The only person he felt was leaving out information was Derek, and that frustrated him even more. Derek was the person that was supposed to be there for Leslie, always by her side to support and help her, but Charlie thought there was something off about their relationship and he wished that he could figure out just what it was. Nobody was that happy, especially people with kids. Nobody was that content in their life, and nobody who knew that was truly happy and in love could sit across the table from a detective and show no emotion when talking about the lost life of the spouse. He knew that he couldn't. He still couldn't, even if he had to. One of the hardest parts about being a detective in a small town was trying to solve all of the crimes with very little to go on. Everyone knew Charlie and knew every case that came across his table. They knew who had been interviewed and why. Sometimes it felt like they knew the questions he was going to ask before he even had asked them. That is what it is like in a small town. People talk, stories grow, and people judge before the case has even been closed. Charlie hoped he hadn't hurt Derek's reputation and that people weren't already jumping to conclusions and judging him just because the detective was asking around. But he also hoped that maybe people would start talking and some new information would get back to him that might help him with the case. Charlie had worked a murder case a couple of years ago, the only murder case he had ever had to work in Hanover. In that case, he didn't have any evidence that he could use to charge the best friend with the murder, even though he knew that the friend was guilty. The friend had an alibi, although Charlie thought it was a lie, but without evidence or anything to put the friend there, Charlie was at a dead end. With the local town gossip, it got back to Charlie that the friend had been talking about going camping the week after the murder. So... Charlie went to the campsite, and while he was there, he found the murder weapon with plenty of evidence tying the friend to the crime. Charlie never would have found the weapon or been allowed to charge and convict the friend of the crime if it hadn't been for the local town gossip. 
It was a great feeling when he had closed that case and he hoped he would be able to figure out this case too. Charlie had a feeling that this case would be closed as an unexplained drowning, but couldn't help but think that would haunt him as a mistake on his part. There had to be something that he was missing. As he arrived at the office, he took a couple of minutes just to sit in his car and think. He wasn't ready to walk into the building and face the people that he worked with and have a smile on his face. He took a few deep breaths and then got ready to go into the building. As he sat down at his desk, he analyzed the facts that he had before him. Leslie had died in the bathtub because of an unexplained drowning. He wanted to be able to explain it, but at the current time he didn't know how. Her husband Derek suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and had issues getting the treatment that he needed. He had been to the VA hospital on a number of occasions in search of something to help make him feel better. Charlie knew that the VA wasn't exactly the kind of place where a person could go and get the treatment they needed on time and in the right quantity. Derek had claimed that he came home to her already dead, but the timeline he had given Charlie would allow for Derek to have been home at the time of the drowning. He could have arrived home to his wife who was angry at him, and something in him due to brain chemical imbalance or lack thereof maybe made him snap. Maybe she went to get into the bath and they fought. He may have held her under the water until she drowned, and then scared of what he had done, he may have panicked and took the time to think up a good story that he could tell the police to make it go away. Derek and Leslie appeared to have a healthy marriage and a happy life with their two children. Charlie didn't know if he could trust that picture of the perfect American family. He maybe had it at one time, so it could be possible, but it was taken from him, so maybe that was just an example of things like that just don't happen every day. Although there were questions surrounding the death, Charlie knew without some sort of physical evidence, he would never be able to charge Derek with the murder. This amount of circumstantial evidence would never be enough to convict him. If Charlie could convict a person on pure gut feeling, this would be an open and closed case, but Charlie knew better and knew this would just cause him another ulcer and never make it to court. Charlie decided he would leave the case open for a few more weeks, hoping for some evidence to help his case, but in the meantime, he would have to move on to solving the other cases that had been laid on his desk. He wasn't looking forward to moving on to the gas station robbery again and to a new case where old Mr. Johnson claimed that his dog had been stolen again. He ended up with cases like this because if the responding police officer would take the information and couldn't solve the case or find the dog on their shift, it would end up on Charlie's desk. Charlie decided now was as good a time as any to call Linda at the coroner's office. He was going to follow up on the case just to see if maybe there was anything more that she had found and also he wanted to try to work up the courage to ask her to meet him for dinner. He had convinced himself that if he put it that way, maybe she would go, not thinking that it was a serious date, but a professional meeting. Charlie dialed the number and noticed that he felt excited. He hadn't felt this way in a long time, and he had to laugh at himself a little. He was acting like he was in middle school, even though he was a grown man. The phone rang two times in his ear and then was answered by an enthusiastic female voice. Coroner's office, this is Linda. Linda, Charlie said, your favorite detective again, calling to see how things are going over there on the dark side. Things are fine, Charlie. You saying this is the dark side is really funny. When I go home at night, I sleep pretty well. How about you, Charlie? Okay, okay, so did you find anything more on my drowning case? I told you I would call just to check. No, Charlie, I didn't. Just what I told you before. You still working on that case? A little. I am still trying to figure out what really happened. 
I just can't put my finger on it. Maybe you could help me out a little. Maybe over dinner? Linda was surprised on the other end of the line, but tried to hold it back. She had thought a lot about Charlie, and living in a small town like they did, she hadn't had a lot of dates lately, and definitely not with someone as good-looking as Charlie was. She composed herself as she said, Okay, Charlie, but just to help you out. Although you do know that I am not a detective. I work with the dead, remember? I don't think I can tell you a lot about what they were thinking or doing that night. Where do you want me to meet you? Let's go with Mario's Italian place there on Main at 7. Is that okay? Sure, that will be fine. I will see you then. Charlie hung up the phone more excited for this dinner than he had been for anything in a long time. As a police officer, personal relationships are hard, and he hadn't done very well at them in the past. The thing is, you just get settled down into the swing of things, and the next thing you know, your pager is going off and you are being called in and don't know when you will be able to make it home. Charlie had gone through that so many times. You love your job more than me, and you never talk to me anymore. I don't know what's going on with you. Lying so many times that he couldn't remember them all, and that was without him feeling like he had even been in a serious relationship. Even feeling nervous and excited, Charlie knew that he had to continue working. He took a deep breath and started to sort through all of the paperwork he had for the drowning case. He filed all the paperwork into a manila folder and typed up a final conclusive report, which he would save just in case something more came in. He closed the folder and put it in one of the multicolored filing cabinets against the wall. He knew, even though he was putting it away, he would still be thinking about how he was going to prove that there was something other than an accident that had happened. Charlie went through the rest of the day in a bit of a haze. He went to the sandwich shop across the street to get a turkey sandwich for lunch. Leo was the best. Charlie had even called old Mr. Johnson to see if his dog had been found, which it had. It had returned home last night. Although it was unharmed, Mr. Johnson was certain that someone had injured it or that aliens had come down and taken the dog for study. Charlie just went along with his story, ending with, If you have any problems again in the future, Mr. Johnson, don't hesitate to call, then laughed as he hung up the phone. He started working on his robbery case again. He had a pretty good idea that the person who had robbed the station was a traveler, not a local, and that he probably wouldn't be lucky enough to find them. He had no cameras, no fingerprints, and nothing else really mattered. Unlike the movies, Charlie couldn't process DNA and fibers in a matter of minutes. In fact, he was lucky if he could ever even process evidence like that at all. If he found a fiber at a crime scene that he thought would be really beneficial to the case, he could bag it and then send a request up to his superior, who would either deny it due to funding or maybe send it through. Then three to four weeks later, he would get information back on his desk, talking all about the fiber, what kind it is, but then what could Charlie really do with that? It wasn't like he had access to a system where he could put the fiber information into a computer and have it spit out information about that fiber matching it from another crime scene five years ago. So basically, a fiber like that is bagged and put in the evidence box of the crime, and if and when something good comes along and Charlie finds a suspect, then maybe he can compare the samples. After again sending them up to the crime lab, waiting three to four weeks, and then comparing the information that he receives. Most of the crimes out here were solved through basic gumshoe investigations, where you put your shoe to the road and ask questions. Charlie had watched those crime scene shows where evidence fell into their laps and they solved it sometimes the same day as the crime, and he would laugh, knowing that wouldn't happen. It would take weeks or even months to solve crimes of that magnitude, especially from a small town department. There definitely weren't a lot of friendships, professional or otherwise, between different departments and segments of the law enforcement division either, 
even though in most of those shows, a detective will give an FBI agent a call and they would run all sorts of reports or talk about the evidence they had in a case, and then they would all work together to solve a case. Charlie knew that didn't happen. He knew every department worked for their own, and even if he did have a robber that had also been in other neighboring cities or counties, he probably wasn't going to hear about it anytime soon. And he decided not to share the information either, because really, what difference would it make? Maybe Charlie had become cynical, or maybe he was just a realist. He had worked in law enforcement for so long, he knew the ropes pretty well. Sometimes he wished things were different, but each department worked for themselves and worked for their own numbers and budgets. Charlie filed this case away as well, only left it open and unsolved. He was really hoping for a tip to come in and he would update the information he had then. Until then, it would collect dust in his filing cabinet. Charlie picked up a few more things and got ready to leave for the day. He didn't want to come back this weekend and was actually looking forward to some time off. He was especially looking forward to his dinner date tonight. With that thought, Charlie turned around and went back to the filing cabinet to grab his notebook from the drowning file. Even though Charlie just wanted to take Linda to dinner, he had told her he wanted to bounce some ideas off of her, so it would probably look better if he actually came prepared to do that. He got into his car and threw the yellow notebook into the passenger seat, full of coffee cups and other garbage. He really wasn't a tidy person. He had never really cared, but he looked over at the passenger seat now and realized it was downright embarrassing. He couldn't go on a date with a pretty lady with garbage filling his front seat. If he wanted to do that, he might as well go buy five cats and take them along too. He circled back around to the dumpster where he left his car running and made multiple trips from the door to the dumpster to throw all of the garbage away. When he got back into his car, he looked around for the yellow notebook and couldn't see it. He swore under his breath and got out of the car again. Wow, he really was feeling nervous. He obviously wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. Luckily for him, the yellow notebook was easily reached on the top of the pile. He pulled it out and wiped a dark smudge from the corner on his pant leg and got back into his car. He pulled out of the parking lot, still cursing under his breath. He pulled to the front of Mario's Italian place on Main Street. It was a small, run-down restaurant with red plaid window coverings and a neon sign that read Mario's on the top of the building. Even though the place looked old, it was fantastic and always received great reviews in the local paper. Charlie walked through the front glass door as bells jingled as it came to a close. He almost thought maybe he was at Leo's, but this place smelled different. He walked up to the metal sign that held a white, dry erase board saying wait to be seated in the corner and the daily specials down the side. Charlie paid no attention to the specials because he knew he would be ordering the same old standby, chicken parmesan. Charlie took a quick glance around the restaurant but did not see Linda waiting. A young girl with a white shirt and black pants with a red apron came out of the door heading to the back. Good evening, sir, she said. How many will there be? Two, Charlie said. Would you like to wait or do you want to be seated now? I'll go ahead and sit, thanks. The young girl led Charlie to a booth in the corner. The seats were covered in red and the table was covered with a white cloth and delicately placed black napkins. Charlie had no sooner sat down than Linda slid into the booth on the opposite side of him. She was beautiful, wearing a white shirt with a black jacket over the top. Her hair was pulled back tightly into a ponytail, which is the way she usually wore it. Hey, Charlie, Linda said. She looked stunning, and he had to will himself to pull his eyes away from the V of her shirt where the rounds of her breasts were peeking out of her so lightly. Thanks for coming, he said, although he was thinking about how beautiful she looked and how he would really like to tell her so. 
I could really use your help. Just another set of eyes is always nice. Just then, the server arrived at the table and asked if they would like anything to drink. Charlie ordered a Stella beer in the bottle, while Linda ordered a glass of Merlot and water. So how about this case, Charlie? What do you have for me? Linda asked. Well, I just can't figure it out. This girl just drowns while trying to get into the bathtub, and she wasn't even sick before, and there's no sign of bruising. She doesn't fall getting in. She just drowns. It just doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes people just do that. It could have been an aneurysm or a stomach condition or something wrong with her lungs, which we just can't see. You are right. It isn't normal for people to fall in the bathtub and drown without a single bruise, but it can happen. I know it can. I just don't like to think that it does, especially not in my position. I just want to solve and know the whys behind everything. I'm sure you understand that. Oh, I do. They sat quietly for a few minutes before Charlie broke the silence. So tell me a little about yourself. I am very interested to find out why you do what you do. Charlie was trying very hard to be smooth and hoped he had moved into the small talk portion of the day very carefully. Well, there really isn't too much to it. I grew up in southern Florida as an only child. I moved to California just as soon as I graduated from high school. I went to college there, and as soon as I graduated, I took the first small town position that came up. I really didn't want to have to deal with all of the politics of big city department. I just wanted to be able to do my job. How about you? Well, I have a sister and two nephews. I grew up in Atlanta, and this was just the first job that came up for me to be a police officer. I have been here ever since and have no plans on going anywhere else. Being a police officer is a pretty common goal, and young boys all over the world often hope to be one. But dreams of becoming a medical examiner aren't all that common, at least not from what I've seen. What got you into wanting to work with the dead people? You make it sound so illustrious, really. Well, I just enjoyed not having to talk to people all of the time, I guess. I took an anatomy class, and when I realized that body parts didn't bother me, I decided to look into learning more about them. So here I am. She smiled, and Charlie's stomach jumped. You really are quite something, Linda. Charlie and Linda talked over dinner for over an hour. He really enjoyed her company and actually felt happy for the first time in a long time. She was intelligent, and they could carry on a conversation about anything. He also really liked that she seemed to understand what he was saying the first time that he said it. She truly listened. Her intellect and ability to make him feel important only intensified his attraction to her. After dinner, he walked her to her car and held open her door so she could get into the driver's seat. He noticed how long and lean her legs were as she sat down in the front seat. He asked her if they could do it again soon, and she agreed. He closed the door to her car and watched her drive away. He got into his car with a roller coaster moving in his stomach. He couldn't wait to see Linda again. This time, he drove straight home. No stops at the tavern tonight. He pulled into the driveway just before dark for the first time in a long time. He went into his house and noticed how dreary the place was. In the living room, even the couches showed signs of dust because they were rarely used. When he went into the kitchen, there were cups all over the counter, and he thought maybe tonight he would put them in the dishwasher. But first, he wanted to take a long, hot shower and just wash away all of the stress from the entire week. He showered until all of the hot water was drained from the heater, and every mirror had a thick layer of steam. He pulled on a pair of pajama pants and an old white t-shirt from the bottom drawer that he hadn't opened in a long time. He put all of the dirty dishes in the dishwasher and opened the fridge door. Beer, eggs, and tomato juice was the entire list of the contents. He looked at the date on the eggs and seeing that they were two weeks past due, he dropped them into the garbage can next to the stove. He pulled out a beer and walked into the living room where he sat down in front of the old TV set 
with his feet up on the table. He turned it to an old rerun on Seinfeld and was asleep before it had finished. Tune in next time as we continue 21 Steps.